0: Welcome to Quirky, Creepy, and Freaky, a podcast where I tell you about wonky animal facts. I'm your host, Olivia, and each week I will share with you a different weird fact from the animal kingdom. Before we get going this week, I'm not really sure if you would call them updates, but there's some, I guess, updates. As you may remember, I've been an adjunct instructor for a bio course this past semester, and we're getting to the point in the semester where there's a whole bunch of things for me to grade and with having another full-time job and not a whole lot of time to do it all in, it's a little bit stressy at the moment. So the podcast is going to take a little break for a few weeks to give me some time to finish up that grading and lose my mind a little bit less while getting through it. So it's probably going to be about a 3-4 to week break, so a little less than a month or about that time frame. But when we get back, there's going to be an episode that a few people have been asking for, so I'm thinking we'll kick it off nice and big with that. And that is that. So now for this week, I am once again abandoning my schedule that I had already made and pushing back the animal I really just wanted more time to research and since I did my research last night, we are going to be talking about a bird I'm already a bit familiar with and it's one that has one heck of a migration pattern. So, in honor of me getting back out on the boat next week to recommence my observer duties, we are going to be talking about the common tern. So, the common tern, scientific name Sterna hirundo. Is a member of the Laridae family of birds, which also includes your gulls. So, related to the common tern are going to be birds like the blackback gull, herring gull, and the ring billed gull. Hence the name, the common tern is now a very common tern across its range, which is pretty expansive. In the breeding seasons, so over the summer months, and hangs out in the temperate and subarctic regions of Europe, Asia, and North America. Here in Maine, we have a few breeding colonies in the islands off the coast, and they'll be returning back to those areas around right around this time of year, really in the next couple of weeks if they're not starting to show up already. In the winter months, they will be hanging out in the coastal and tropical, or coastal tropical and subtropical areas. For common terns on the east coast of North America, they typically winter on the north and east coast of South America but they may go over to the west coast as well. Common terns can be found in both in marine coastal habitats and freshwater habitats, really just areas with larger open um, bodies of water. So there are some breeding colonies along in the Great Lakes region as well. They forage in open water and will typically go for small fish, but they have been known to eat the occasional crustacean and small squid. When they feed, they do a pretty nifty thing called plunge feeding. Plunge feeding is a relatively common method amongst marine birds, or at least not uncommon, where the bird will fly up at least one meter, but several meters above the water surface, spot the fish they're going for, and then quickly dive down to grab the bird. And then quickly dive down to grab the fish. For the common tern, they will often fly one to six meters above the ocean's surface, and then, plunge into the water for a short and shallow dive, usually only going about half a meter or 50 centimeters below the water surface. Um, so it's really just a very sudden, quick, short dive. Before a dive, they'll often circle up either above the water or hover for a moment as they spot their prey, so if you're ever watching and see a tern hovering over the water, keep an eye on them for a moment because chances are they'll be diving down in a short moment to mention nesting real quick before getting to migration as far as terns and marine birds go the common tern is not really super picky about their nesting site they'll build their nest on open ground like in some cases a along rocky coast on some islands or sands on barrier beaches and then they really just scrape a nest for themselves on the ground they will sometimes surround their nest with some vegetation or debris in order to protect their nests from any water or just keep everything contained, but for the most part it's really just a small scraping in the ground. They, ha- they breed in colonies, so they have breeding colonies, and that breeding season is from about June through August. Breeding colonies will often contain several different species, so it's not unusual to find arctic terns, roseate terns, and common terns. All together in one colony. They don't typically interbreed, they just hang out on their nest together and probably scream at each other if they get too close to a neighbor's nest, as one does. So now migration time. Many birds have migrations, especially those that spend their uh, summers in the cooler Arctic to temperate areas of the world. Marine birds that rely on open water are often migratory, They don't always migrate south though, some, like Atlantic puffins, more often migrate out to the open ocean farther away from the coasts. The common tern has a particularly impressive migration path though, and along with the arctic tern, they have one of the longest migration paths of any bird, with a round trip of about 35,000 kilometers each year. As I mentioned earlier, these birds spend the summers breeding in more temperate areas from June to August, and then they travel down to south america for the winter during their migration flights while they may stop in staging areas along the way to eat food and rest for a bit common turns have been recorded flying on average 500 to over 700 kilometers per day and that's just in a day that would be like walking or i guess driving but walking from buffalo new york to new york city so entirely entire way across new york state in one day and then deciding to turn around and walk back, maybe stopping about halfway overnight on your way. Or for a larger state as reference, getting about three quarters of the way across Texas and then just deciding to take a break there. So how do they get to where they're going? Common terns and other birds have an advantage over things like monarch butterflies in that they, one, are going to be flying the path more than once in their life, And two, there are other birds that have flown the path before that they can hang out with if needed so they're not just flying this thing all on their own and and after their first migration they have some experience under their belt. But for the most part, these birds are really just going to be following the coast south and then island hopping until they get to where they want to be for the winter so they have the coastline as their navigation guide. The exact path they take is going to depend a bit on the individual bird and what breeding population the bird is starting from, but there have been quite a few studies tracking birds leaving from Cape, Cape Cod in Massachusetts, so we do have quite a bit of information from these birds. So what happens? The birds will start to leave their summer areas in August, with female terns typically leaving a bit earlier than the males, so they'll leave earlier in August and then the male terns will hang out in some cases until October, before they start their migration south. Once the terns leave Cape Cod, they'll either fly south to the barrier islands of North Carolina to pause there for a bit, or they may leave directly from Cape Cod for the Caribbean islands. Once they're in the Caribbean, they'll move through each of the islands and then make a turn for the north coast of South America. Now, At any point in this journey, the birds may stop for a staging break, sometimes for a few days, but one bird that was being tracked stayed in the Dominican Republic for about 20 days before flying to the Guiana Suriname area in South America, where it decided to stay for the winter. For birds moving on to Brazil, they flew along the northern coast of South America and around that northeast corner of Brazil, and then moved on to wintering areas on the east coast of brazil and argentina these birds typically reached their wintering grounds around october in this time some of them hung out in the some of them hung out around the same area for most of the winter not really moving around much but some birds would fly around and alternate between a few main areas along the south american coast sometimes covering about 300 to 500 kilometers of coastline throughout the winter Once springtime rolls around, or I guess autumn for the birds once they're in South America, they'll start migrations in about March or April. So it's a little funny to think that for the terns, it's really always an autumn migration. Once the weather starts to cool down in the South America, that's when they're going to be um, migrating. So we think of it as a spring migration and an autumn migration, but for the birds in both cases, they're starting their flight in the fall and then ending up in springtime, so that is kind of the point to fly from a cooler area to a warmer area, but it's a bit of a funny perspective, I think. So anyways, now that it is the March to April time frame, the birds are starting to get ready to fly. In this particularly, um, or in this particular study I read by Nisbet and colleagues, they really only focused on the flight path of two birds when talking about the spring migration. So one of the birds, uh, affectionately termed bird 6102, left Brazil in early April, and then in about a month, 27 days, it reached its nesting site in Massachusetts with only a few stopovers in Brazil, making it a much faster flight than the fall migration. The other bird, 6103, left in early March from a different location, a bit more north in Brazil, that it looks like from bird 6102. But then it took a staging break on a little bit more north in Brazil than its starting point for about 47 days in order to collect itself and rest up, gain some good morale, before directly flying back home. So including the staging time, it took 59 birds for this bird to migrate, but when you take out that month and a half of chill time, it took bird 6103 only 12 days of flying time to make it back to Massachusetts. And this is the bird that I had mentioned earlier that flew on average about 720 kilometers per day. Bird 6102 on the other hand took a little bit more time with the migration and had 21 days of flight days during its migration. So that's how long it took without those um, resting days. But especially for a bird a bit smaller than a crow, that is a super impressive uh, flight or that's a super impressive flight to spend that many days just flying in a row. So, nowadays, the common tern is a pretty populous species, and there's not any concern for its extinction. However, at least in the US, it wasn't always this way. Back in the 1800s, someone decided that they would be super fashionable as hats, and took feathers, or apparently sometimes just the whole bird, and affixed them as fashionable hats for women along with feathers from the Atlantic puffins, um, they had a similar fate. Now, since America does nothing in moderation, the common tern was hunted to near extinction, but fortunately the Migratory Bird Treaty Act was, sound, was signed in 1918, really just in time, and swooped in to save these birds. Luckily, the common tern populations have bounced back wonderfully and are now a fun bird to spot for coastal birders. Thank you for listening to today's episode and come on back in about a month for the next episode. I'm looking forward to seeing you again when I return in a metaphorical sense. In the meantime, catch up on old episodes and please rate and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I guess they're the same thing. And you can also find me on Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Music, and Audible. There are a couple of options to help support this podcast. You can share us with somebody you know that could use some more animal facts in their life, which we all know is everybody. You can also become a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash pod to help me continue on with the podcast and give me some more time to work on it. You can also find the podcast on Instagram, so give it a follow at pod so you can be notified of posts when I actually remember to use the Instagram account. And if you have a favorite quirky, creepy, or freaky animal fact, send it on in at quirkycreepyfreakypod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Audio editing and recording was done by me, Olivia Streit. Intro music created by Kaylee Streit. Thank you for listening.